Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And the Lord, the book of Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 10, 11 and 12. Uh, the Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This evening we're going to be bringing to a close a series we've been doing on the Beatitudes. And so I pray that the Lord would just touch this word to our heart here this evening and that somehow throughout this journey and even up to and through tonight, we can find uh, the, the hand of the Lord at work in our lives, not to just claim something and not to have a one-time experience, but to be something. Amen? Let's pray His word would touch that to our heart. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for the privilege to be called of your name. We're asking you this evening as we consider the truth of your word that you would help us tonight in our endeavor to be all that we need to be in you and to be, uh, God, what you want and desire us to be on this earth. We pray that your hand of blessings would touch your word and that word again would be touched to our heart and our mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. What a way to end the discussion on blessings. Uh, so far... The Beatitudes have dealt with the transformation of the inner man. And uh, we have been, with the help of the Lord and His Word, just chiseling away at this for several weeks to understand the value of God's Word as it applies to our life. And then, of course, our responsibility to that Word of God, not to just be hearers only, but doers of the Word. Because we can't just sit and hear and not take a responsibility or become accountable for what God's Word teaches us and declares to us. So I don't want to just hear it with my ears, but I want God to help all of us tonight in our own unique way to climb upon the potter's wheel and let His hands mold us and fashion us into the church He desires us to be. And so it, the, the Beatitudes we've been talking about have been working on the inner man. This is in order to reconcile ourselves and our ways, our life, unto the Lord, to be more like Him. And so now the message changes right here in the end somewhat and becomes uh, that an, an insight to the fact that there are some blessings and there are some sufferings that come with being called of Christ. Amen. It's not popular, it's not what we want to hear sometimes, it's not words that tickle our ears, but there is, he said, a blessing that comes in the suffering that we have for the cause of the kingdom. So out of all of the Beatitudes that we have considered, this is the only one 
where it was emphasized to such a degree, to a degree that Jesus repeats himself. I have taught for many, many years and been taught my whole life that the Word of God, of course, is so important. But when, when the Word of God is repeated, when something is repeated, we need to take heed to that because there is something there. There's something very, very important. And so Jesus emphasized this by repeating it twice. And so he must have realized, realized um, in that day, like this day, that we're going to have a hard time wrapping our mind around this because this is not what we want to hear in our flesh necessarily. So not only does he repeat it twice, but he also instructs them to rejoice and be glad. Now as a rule, we don't often see the words suffer and rejoice and be glad in the same sentence. That kind of goes against the grain. And uh, we, we like to rejoice and be glad, but we want to leave the suffering out. For us, it needs to be one or the other. How can we have both? But this is what Jesus said we can have. It's a foregone conclusion that life is filled with suffering. And, and to be truthful, I don't know of anyone to some measure, to some degree, that doesn't suffer on some level. It doesn't matter how white the picket fence or how tall the hill the home sets on. They're behind that veil, behind that veneer, behind that facade. If you could peel back enough layers, you will see suffering in every life. If you live long enough, heartache will come. Let me let me just pause here. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be negative Nancy, as they say this evening, but the Word of God is on our side. And he said, blessed are you for these things. And so let's just keep that in mind. But if you live long enough, of course, heartache will come. Financial stress at some point or another will knock at your door. Loss on some level will make its way to your heart. And families, to some degree, will all struggle. Because suffering is just a part of the human condition. It's just part of life. My wife asked me a few days ago about this scripture. We were discussing it, Job 14 and 1. Man is born of woman... It, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So there you have it. Amen. We see no end in sight for that. So as long as we live, we will have things to contend with. There will always be something. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to overwhelm you or me or anyone in this house. I want us to understand the value of what Jesus is pointing out. And we're not just talking about suffering for suffering's sake or just randomly discussing the subject of suffering. We'll be more specific about that in just a moment. You see, there is a difference between the normal sufferings of life. We all have things that we wish we could change. Can I get an amen? If you could tweak just a few things before the stroke of 9 o'clock tonight, if you possess that power, you would probably do just that. So we're not just talking about the normal sufferings of life. There are just some things that perhaps won't change until some time has passed. There are some things that may not change at all. We're just going to have to find a new normal or adjust the sales of our own life. And that's just the hard reality. And then there is then there is the, on the other side of that the suffering for the cause of Christ. And that's where I'm headed this evening because that's what our scripture surrounds. Jesus makes a, a clarification here for the sake of the understanding of the disciples. Because again, so far the Beatitudes have dealt with the spiritual men. And in this final Beatitude, there's really not an exception to that to some degree. 
But he also talks about the natural things that we may have to endure and perhaps will have to endure. It would be easy to assume that he was that he would be referring to the sufferings of life, just the common things that we deal with until he added this qualifier. And it's so important that we do not miss this. He said the suffering for righteousness sake. Suffering for the sake of righteousness, not just having a headache or having a problem in our life. But when we think about those who have suffered for the cause of the kingdom. Now I'm going to talk about a few people from the scripture this evening, but again, our own history books record for us the names of many people that have and still suffer for the cause of the kingdom. But according to Fox's book of martyrs, if we just think about those that were Intimate followers of Christ. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Philip was thrown into prison and crucified. Matthew was slain with a sword. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified. Mark was dragged to death. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul beheaded. Jude crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas was killed with a spear. Luke was hanged. Simon crucified. Barnabas was put to death, and John was exiled to an isle called Patmos, where there he met his death. So to be sure, the Bible has a long list of recognizable names of men and women who were suffering for the cause of the kingdom. Amen, a kingdom cause. In his writing, D.B. D. Greg Ebb says that persecution will bring you a blessing when we keep in mind the four R's. Those four R's that he writes about are righteousness, reactions, reminders, and rewards. Jesus is not talking about blessed are they that are persecuted, happy are they that are picked on. He's not talking about that. Look again. Jesus said, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another translation records Matthew 5 and 10 as this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Yet another translation said, Blessed God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for Him. God blesses persecution when it comes as an end result of righteousness. And so if that is the case, let's dig into this word righteousness. Righteousness is first the declaration of God because he is righteous, not our righteousness. It should be obvious that the righteousness spoken of here is not something based upon what we have brought to the table because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. We are righteous only through our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ that makes it possible for us to be made righteous, not we ourselves. And so as we confess before God our sins, God declares us righteous. We're righteous by His blood. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so righteousness is also the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in our lives or should be at work in our lives, working on us, working on our imperfections, asking God daily to help us in our endeavor to be more like Him. The old song that says, To be like Jesus, on earth I long to be like Him. It's the Spirit of God within us that empowers us to live a life of holiness. Because a lifestyle of holiness cannot be obtained 
And it certainly cannot be sustained outside a continual work of the Holy Spirit within. I mean, you may make up your mind and self-will and determination in a few areas and you may walk a few miles committed and consecrated to that cause, but without a continual working of the Spirit of God in our lives, it cannot be obtained in a long-term fashion. That's why it's important to have the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's important to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this is not a one-time thing, not an every now and then experience, but it's an ongoing, intentional walk with God each and every day. I've got to be intentional about this. I need the Spirit of God. As I've mentioned so many times, this is just another reason why it is so imperative that you don't ever tell somebody they got the Holy Ghost. Amen. Somebody really needs to get the Holy Ghost, not just be told they have something because it's the work of the Spirit in us that gives us the strength to overcome sin. And, and so if, if someone assumes they have the Holy Ghost, when in fact they do not have the Holy Ghost, and life does not work out for them, and someone later says, you know what, you need the Holy Ghost, they're going to be able to say clearly, concisely, and accurately, I've already tried that and that didn't work. And so we need a real genuine experience of God's Spirit flowing in our lives. And so it's far more important that somebody really truly receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost than it is for us to tell somebody they got the Holy Ghost just so we can boast about somebody getting the Holy Ghost. Amen. We, they're going to need the Holy Ghost far more than we're going to need some number or some check mark or some testimony. They need the working of the Spirit of God alive in their heart. Again, not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process that we have to be very intentional about. Righteousness is not living according to some long legalistic set of do's and don'ts as some ill perceive, but righteousness is a life lived under the control and under the influence of God's Spirit living inside of us. And so what we do and what we don't do should not be the end result of something that was derived from a checklist. But what we do and what we don't do should be the end result of something that is derived of the Spirit of God living inside of us. I didn't go there because I've got Jesus inside of me. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to participate in that. Amen. I am going to do this and I am going to involve myself in that because I have the Lord living inside of me. I don't want to have to whip out some list and see what's there if I on the do and don't, the can and cannot. I want the Spirit of God to lead and guide me and direct me because no matter how long the list is, eventually it won't be long enough. Amen. Because life changes and things come uh, into our life. And so, uh, you know, I, 40 years ago, certainly not even 40 years ago, but if we just say 40 years ago, you didn't hear anybody preaching against the dangers of the Internet. So the Internet would have been off the list. Right? <laughs> And so we could just do whatever we want to because it's not on the list. But if we have a principle in our heart, it doesn't have to be on the list. I've got something inside of me that leads and guides and directs my steps. So we have to be intentional and I need the Spirit of God. Righteousness is not something forced upon us from the outside. But righteousness is something that should flow from within us 
by the power of God. Not something imposed upon us, but something that flows through us and out of us. Born again, a born again Christian should live differently than a non-believer. Amen. Everything about us should be different. Everything. There should be a distinct difference, not just marginal differences. The values, our priorities, our goals, the desire of a child of God should produce a completely different lifestyle in how we act, how we think, how we walk, how we talk. Everything about it ought to be completely adverse to the world that we live in. As a matter of fact, compared to the culture of our world, and certainly in America as it is applicable, to us in our culture, a child of God, somebody sold out to the kingdom of God, pardon my vernacular here, but they ought to stand out like a sore thumb. In every in every facet of life, our conversation, how we conduct ourselves, our attitude, our spirit, our conduct, in every way, they ought to stand out. And so living out the Beatitudes in our daily lives means that we can no longer just sit on the fence torn between Christian faith and the values of this world. We have to get down off the fence of mediocrity and make a decision. We have to say, this is where I am going to stand. This is, Joshua said it, as for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. We're not. We're not on the line. We have not. We are not uh, debating. There, this is what we're going to do. I mean, the Beatitudes are the building blocks that help us to become more like Jesus. And so, when we live our life consistent with the attitudes and the characteristics and the qualities and the values of Jesus, our lives will be different. Certainly, they will. Ephesians 2 and 19 says, There ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and of the household of God. Too often, especially in America, Christians focus on the blessings and forget about the price that has to be paid. I've often said before you judge where someone is in life or what they have in life, before you judge, you have no idea what the price they paid to be where they are. So when you see someone mightily used of God, before you think it's because of their last name or some silver spoon in their mouth or what, what, whatever list we may put that on, we never, need never need not ever forget the level of, of input, the level of investment that was made or the suffering. Amen. The price that is paid. God wants us to consider the cost, but not just the cost, but also the dividends. Because you can't get something for nothing. Amen? You generally get what you pay for. Luke 14 and 27, the Bible says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth down, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to, to finish it? So Jesus didn't hide anything from us. He, he told us like it is. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, then you have got to expect persecution. If you're going to follow me, there's going to be a price that comes with that. Jesus told us in this, in this life that, that we can expect a few things. We can expect persecution rather than praise, insults rather than invitations, harassment, not honor, and slander, and not a whole lot of support. Jesus wants us to be prepared for the difficulties that come as a result of following Him. No one uh, in their right mind, that it, no one that has dedicated themselves to the call of God is not going to somewhere stand out of the crowd. You're going to rise up above. And when you rise above, that's where someone said it's the tallest trees that catch the wind. 
John 16 and 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said that we're blessed when we endure all kinds of persecutions. He said, because of me, because of me. Matthew 5 and 11, a part of our text this evening. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So he's not just talking about people that are picked on or culled out. or He's not just talking about someone that, that life just kind of pushed them to the shore. But he's talking about those that all of this come against them for his sake or for the cause of the kingdom. And so with understanding that true Christian faith is not necessarily a cause, nor is it a religion, but true Christian faith, again, not just bound up in good works or living a moral life, but good Christian faith is Christ. It is Jesus Christ. It's all about Him that people would see not us, but see the work of God in us. And I know that we sometimes readily amen those kinds of statements when, in fact, uh, we, we may not understand the, the value or the magnitude of what we're saying. We need the Lord, people to see the Lord in us and not just us. I know that's a difficult thing because we are His hands and His feet and, and we are His voice. And so sometimes those personalities get mixed all into the equation. But I say, Lord, help me to extract me out of the way. And Lord, let Your Spirit and Your presence, amen, I don't want people to just to be moved by personality or people just to be moved by charisma, but they need to be moved by the Spirit of God. The anointing of God, that's what's imperative. The Bible says that it is it is the, the anointing of God that destroys the yoke. And so if men and women are going to be set free from sin, if the yoke of sin is going to be destroyed in their life, we need the anointing. And the anointing is not attached to personality. The anointing is not attached to charisma or talent or abilities, but the anointing is attached to dedication. It is attached to the righteousness of God. Amen. To be like Christ. And so our Christian faith is centered around the personal, a personal relationship with the Lord. And so when we encounter persecution, amen, when, we, when you encounter persecution, we're blessed. We remember that, that, that it's not about us, but it's the God in us. People don't hate you nearly as much as they hate the God in you. Amen. Let me just put it like it is. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. And so in the early days of the Christian church, a, a, a zealous young man by the name of Saul did everything in his power to end the influence of the church, to stamp out Christianity once and for all. This man had believers arrested. He had them imprisoned. He had them murdered. He threatened the lives of Christians. He approved them to be put to death. What a horrible man. We would never, ever think there would be any hope for such a man. In our own estimation, he would be at the end of the line, the, the bottom of the list. How could this man ever find mercy and ever find grace? However, he stopped all of this when he became a Christian himself. On the road to Damascus, the Lord spoke into his heart. Amen. He changed. He changed when he met the Lord. Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus and listened carefully what Jesus said. Now, I just told you what, in our estimation, Saul did. He, he was trying to stamp out the church. He had people imprisoned. He gave permission for people to be persecuted and put to death. And so in our estimation, when we look at 
the re- the record, when we look at the tally, we say that Saul was against the church and that he was against the Christians and that he was doing everything within his power to stop this message. But listen carefully to the words of Jesus. When Jesus blinded him on the road to Damascus, he said this, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Wow. That's not what the tombstones read. That's not what the obituary column said. That's not how it was marketed to the public. But Jesus said, you're persecuting me. When you put them to death, you are after me. Amen. Saul was not opposing a group of people as they, uh, as they supposed, but he was opposing Jesus. He was opposing the same Jesus that had been crucified. But when Jesus was brought back to life, now he confronts this man in Acts chapter 9. Why persecutest thou me? And so when people speak against you, they speak against your God. Amen. The Lord wants us to remember that when we encounter persecution, that it's not about us. That's sometimes difficult, but it's about Him. John 15 and 18 said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So, kind of hard to complain when He says, Yeah, I know. It's really, really, really hard to make a point and make a case whenever we get through all of our complaining. The Lord says, I understand. Because we will most likely not encounter many of the things that He encounters. So, really, we have no room to talk. And so, as long as they hate Jesus and you're full of Jesus, they're going to hate you. So, well, this is sure an unpopular message, but if you'll just stay with me, He said, blessed. You're going to be blessed for this. I mean, this is not some twisted, demented plot or plan. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. And so that's why we have to remember the 12th verse of of our text this evening. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so if we could sit down and talk to some of them, I would imagine if they spoke first, and then they said, now what were you going to say? We'd say nothing. Never mind. It was just an issue on the job. It was just a comment somebody made at lunch. It pales in comparison to what you have been through for the cause of Christ. I'm not trying to minimize anything here this evening, but I want us to understand that God is never going to allow anything to gnaw into the shoulder our back. or He's not going to allow us to go through anything that He says, I'm not going to bless you for that. I will bless you for that. He wants us to remember that, that we are not the only one that's ever experienced persecution for our faith. The godless people of the world have always hated Christ. And you know what? They will continue to hate Him. Elijah, this great prophet of God, we find Him high, we find Him low. We find Him strong, we find Him weak. We find Him almost untouchable. And then we find Him a man very relatable. He had been used mightily by the Lord to call the nation of Israel out of a lifestyle of compromise and pagan worship. On Mount Carmel in the book of Kings chapter 18, Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, 450 large. He said, we're going to just determine who is serving a living God. So I'll meet you on the mountain. It was no contest. God answered Elijah with fire from heaven. If you know the story, you know it's a story of great detail and depth. Amen. That Elijah proved beyond the shadow of all doubt who the real God was. And yet, 
on the heels of this grand experience, Queen Jezebel threatened to have Elijah killed after this victory, and he ran for his life, and he said to the Lord, I'm the only one left. Amen. You would think that the Lord would put his arm around Elijah and say, I understand. But he shook him when he said, I have 7,000 others that have not bowed a knee to Baal. You're not alone. You're not the only one that has ever encountered these things. And so we have to be very, very careful of isolation because isolation is an enemy of the soul. When we think that we're all alone, then that causes us to give up hope. And we may even at that time even begin to doubt God. But Jesus says, remember, they've treated others that followed me just like they're treating you. The writer of Hebrews Hebrews reminds us of of a tremendous story. And it's really a word picture. And so if we could just kind of keep this Hebrews 12 and 1, if we could just sort of keep that frozen in, in, uh, in our mind to understand the Bible says, Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. We, we get the lay aside every weight and the sin with us so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. But please don't let's ever forget the very first part of this verse, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses because there are so many watching and cheering us on. Amen. There are those that have gone on before us. Amen. There are those that have already fought this fight. They have won this race. They have conquered this battle. Hallelujah. We're not in this thing alone. There there are tombstones that dot the earth all about us of men and women who ran well this race. That didn't mean they didn't have times and seasons of struggle and that they didn't feel what we feel in, in the very course of our lives at some point or another. But they were just determined to hold on not to the suffering but to the blessing. Amen. I'm not going to focus on the persecution. I'm going to focus on the reward because at the end of... Of all of this, he called me blessed. Blessed. Amen. Matthew 5 and 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. In heaven. And so God will bless the persecuted with the ultimate reward, and that is the kingdom of God. So well put was it many years ago now when someone penned the words that we are living in the first generation that it is ever sought for happiness, total happiness here on this earth. Our forefathers sang and meant this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. It wasn't just a hymnal. They meant it. Amen. They understood that if I don't have it here, I'll have it there. Amen. If it doesn't happen to me now, I'll get it then. If I'm not healed then, here I will be healed there. Amen. And and so we have to understand, God said, I will bless you. I will bless you. Amen. I want to remember that God doesn't make us available to anyone who's just having a bad day. We're not talking about that. We're not talking to the holier-than-thou crowd that may think that they have God on their side. Amen. But for persecution's sake of legalism or tradition, that doesn't gain God's attention. He's not just looking at those things. Amen. It's If through persecution we're going to receive the blessing of God and the kingdom of God, our, we have to understand that our reward is in heaven. Amen. i got to stand up and I've got to face persecution. That's never easy. 
But it's easier when we keep the reward in sight. Paul said, I press toward the mark. I've got a goal in mind. I'm working towards something. I've never been involved in any kind of project, whether it was building or remodeling, that at some point it didn't look worse before it looked better. Right about halfway, you're wondering, why did I even bother? I mean, life was going so good. Everything seemed so normal. And and we got this harebrained idea one night. And now look, our world will never be the same. Right? Well, sure getting a lot of response from that. So we've all been there. About that halfway point, we just wish we had left it all alone. But somebody has got to keep their eye on the prize of why we even started this to begin with. Let's not lose sight of what we see here and now. Let's not get caught up in all the dust and debris. Let's realize that before we started this, we had a plan. And so let's just keep pressing for the plan. Let's keep pressing for the plan. And so sometimes life seems overwhelming. And, and the psalmist said, when my heart is overwhelmed, I will say, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. That must mean that we can encounter times and seasons of our life when our heart is overwhelmed. And so the kingdom of heaven will be ours if we just don't give up and quit. We've got to keep our eyes fixed to the prize. I'm going to ask you to stand and our musicians to come. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light affliction... Written from the Apostle Paul now, let's not forget the author, which is but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We could be offended at these words if we didn't really know the author. It would be somewhat off-putting for someone to call what we're going through light affliction. Unless we could see the scars the bruises and the history of the man holding the pen because that makes all the difference in the world. Our light affliction, which just is just a moment, is working for a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, I just want to stay with my hand in the Apostle Paul's hand for a moment. In Acts 16, when Paul was in the city of Philippi, overtaken by a mob, arrested, beaten, locked in chains, and put in prison, he and Silas. That would not be my idea of an ideal day. Most of us would want to be inclined to do a lot of different things. Yet at midnight, Paul and Silas were not sleeping. They were not comparing cuts and bruises. But instead, these two weary men were responding to the results of persecution by singing and praying unto God. Consider further persecution in the response of the Apostle Paul. Now, it's a rather long reading, and I know you're standing, but I think it's worth a few minutes this will take to consider the author of a man who called our afflictions light. He said in 2 Corinthians 11.23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant and stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent and deaths oft. 
Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, saved one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I spent in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. Now, if a man ever suffered, Paul suffered. And so I think we have to consider the author. It would have been so easy for Paul to justify within himself walking away from a life so filled with persecution. But God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. You're not going to go through all this for nothing. I have a record. And I know sometimes at our loneliest moment and at our lowest ebb, when tears roll from our cheek and onto the floor and it seems like they just fall in silence and no one cares. God has a record. When you can't even describe the pain in your own heart, if your very life depended on it, when your vocabulary would fall so, so, so miserably short, He understands. And He has a record. And He said, I will reward. And so if we're going to believe any scripture in the book, we're going to have to believe all the scriptures in the book. Amen. And so after all of this suffering, after all of the abandonment, after the, all of the aloneness, years later Paul would write to the church in Philippi from yet another prison cell in Rome. These words that still ring true, they still are filled with resounding hope. Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Lift up your head. Your redemption draweth nigh. Look, look, look up. And so we have to see beyond here, beyond now, and put our faith and our trust and our confidence in God. Not one person I would venture to say in this room, if you haven't, I would dare say before you get to the end of life's journey, will face a season of your life where you have more questions than answers. What are we going to do then? Amen. Where are we going to stand then? That's why we got to decide now. Right now. I'm going to cast my lot here. Amen. I'm going to drive the tent stakes down and I'm going to drive them deep. Amen. This is where I stand. Amen. Could you worship the Lord in the song? Let's magnify Him together. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. 
Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.